What are your options if you do not have legal access to your land? Stay tuned and to the latest Well-Grounded podcast to find out. This is Randy Conan from the Red River Farm Network. And this is Jason Menke, farmland and beetstock broker at Acres and Shares. In this uh, podcast brings together experts from the world of agriculture and real estate. We'll talk about farmland values, industry trends, and the economy. In this edition of Well-Grounded, our guest is John Workup. John's a partner and owner of the Grand Forks-based law firm Swanson & Workup and has more than 30 years of experience. Today we'll be talking about land easements. Welcome, John. Thank you for having me. In the past few months, I've had a few land sales with access issues. Uh, I think there's a general premise that landowners should have legal access to their property. However, I don't have a good understanding myself of what it takes to provide legal access. And my hunch in visiting with farmers and landowners is that most people don't either. So I think this podcast should be insightful. John, could you start by giving our listeners the general premise of an easement? Sure. An easement allows a party to use and or occupy a portion of another party's land. Easements can exist for a number of various reasons, but common easements include easements for utilities, such as power lines, fiber optic lines, gas or access, such as roads, walks, or driveways. Easements can also allow buildings or fences to encroach on another party's land. Easements can be written agreements between the parties, or they can arise by operation of law due to continued usage over the passage of time. In that case, it's called a prescriptive easement. In a written easement, one would look to the terms of the document to determine what is allowed, how long the use is allowed, and where that use can occur. For example, if the easement states that the utility company can use a portion of an owner's land for a power line, The utility company gets to use the portion for the power line, but would not also be allowed to put in a fence, for example, unless the easement specifically states that they can. Determining what can be done in a prescriptive easement is more difficult because there is no document to read. Rather, one would look to the historical use to determine how the prescriptive easement has been used in the past. For example, if a person used a portion of the neighbor's property as a driveway, That use may rise to the level of a prescriptive easement for driveway purposes, but it wouldn't allow the person to all of a sudden construct a fence on the neighbor's property. So generally in the Red River Valley, um, you know, we're we're pretty flat and and square and, you know, there's no, there's not many obstructions. So, you know, there's township roads, it seems like on every section or, or mile line, and most of those roads are straight. Uh, Once you get outside of the valley, that's not always the case. So roads may be altered because of potholes or maybe, you know, a slag term would be a slough or or terrain issues. You think of, you know, maybe the the Pemina Gorge up in northeast North Dakota. Uh, Because of a jog in the road, a landowner might might not have access to his or her own property. In some cases, um, in some cases they might not know this is the situation and, and they may or may not have a unwritten or handshake agreement with a neighbor. You know, what's the first step, John, of, of somebody trying to get or secure legal access in a situation like this? Well, Jason, it's important that there's to understand that there's a distinction between legal access and physical access. For example, the landowner may have legal access to the road right-of-way on that section line that you spoke about, but for physical reasons, the actual roadway doesn't exist on that section line. In that situation, the landowner has legal access, 
and that is they're right next to the dedicated right-of-way, but they don't have physical access. They can't get to the road where it actually exists. In your example, a few scenarios could arise. There could already be a written easement between the parties. In that case, one just reviews the easement to make sure it conveys all of the rights needed, and assuming it does, nothing further should be required. On the other end of the spectrum, the owner may be using the neighbor's property for access, knowing full well that he doesn't have the permission to do so. This might rise to the level of a prescriptive easement if the continued use has been long enough. It could also be that the facts find us somewhere in the middle with no written document but only a handshake agreement. That if there isn't any written agreement and you're considering buying the land, it would be the best approach, best to approach the neighbor and try to come to an agreement for a written easement before you purchase the property. It can be very dangerous and costly to rely upon the continued unwritten consent of the neighbor because that neighbor might withdraw that consent. Even if you think the fact situation gives rise to a prescriptive easement, it's still a dangerous situation as no one really has a prescriptive easement until the court says you have a prescriptive easement. So if you're relying upon the seller's representation that he's been using that easement for decades and there's nothing the neighbor can do about it now, you might, you might find yourself in an unenviable and expensive position of needing to bring a lawsuit against the neighbor if you find out your seller really wasn't telling the truth and you don't have a prescriptive easement. The court costs in that situation can be extremely expensive. Well, it could almost deem a property unsellable at that point too, couldn't it? Yes, if there's not physical access, you have, you'd have to think of the cost of creating that physical access and perhaps even the legal right to cross another person's property to get to that road or whatever you need to get to. How does one initiate something like that? Uh, for a prescriptive easement, it would be through a, a lawsuit. You'd start a lawsuit against the neighboring property to, to uh, establish that you have that prescriptive easement. But there has to be something that is based upon. There has to be a certain amount of time that's passed before that easement becomes in place. So, for example, if you've only been using it for a year, you don't have a, the long enough time period to have that easement in place. So it's, it's important to get those things taken care of before you do that transaction and buy that land because you could find yourself in a very difficult situation of not having in any easy way to get to your land. You know, one of the scenarios, Randy, <clears throat> that I've run into is, uh, you know, basically there's a jog in the road and uh, we ended up having to, to buy an easement and it was really only crossing an existing driveway that had probably been there since the 50s. Um, but we ended up paying, you know, $8,000 to, to buy the easement from the adjacent landowner. And, you know, my hunch, and we'll get to this later, is that, you know, going through the court process would have been, you know, more expensive than... Than buying That's what I was going to say. What happens if you get a, a, a landowner that isn't cooperative? That could throw a, that could be a mess. Yeah, and and here's just another kind of another good example. In fact, uh, kind of my other case study that this just happened in late January. So I <clears throat> listed uh, I don't know just a little under 900 acres for sale, and so there was a, a full section. And then there were two other parcels. Uh, one of the parcels was just a shade under 100 acres. And, you know, occasionally for whatever reason, uh, maybe family split it years ago, but um, it happened to be roughly the east 
or excuse me, the west 100 acres of the northeast quarter. All right, so the, the, there was a tributary of the Red River that kind of meandered through the property. And there was a township road on the north side, so the land north of the river had easy access. The land that was south of the river, um, the, the gentleman who was farming, or the family that was farming the property, um, also was farming the southeast quarter, so they had access with, with you know, basically a handshake agreement, right? And there was a, <clears throat> on the north side of the property of the southeast quarter, there was kind of a shelter belt and a trail that kind of led back to, to the property. So, you know, prior to the, the land auction, and, and this was just, a, in general, a small portion of, of the land sale. So if this was the only parcel, we would have had to hold off until we had determined legal access, you know, if we had legal access. So what we tried to do was, was actually to buy legal access. So on behalf of my client, I contacted the owner of the Southeast Quarter. And, you know, I'm curious on your feedback on, on this, John, or maybe Randy, you've got some comments, but kind of the approach that, that I took is that if somebody's gonna sell an easement and not knowing who's gonna buy it, that you probably have to pay a premium. So prior to the land sale, um, you know, if you look at numbers of seven to $8,000 an acre, um, I kind of picked that midpoint and, and doubled it. And so I had gone to the adjacent landowner. Um, they weren't interested in, in selling an easement. Um, luckily, the land sale as a whole did very well. I mean, that parcel probably didn't bring, you know, expectations. But, um, you know, that was kind of the approach that, you know, that we used in that scenario. Um, but, you know, if it wasn't for the rest of the land sale going well, like we, we probably would have had to fight this thing legally. So, you know, in a situation like this, John, I mean, what are a landowner's options? Let's just say this would have been the only parcel. And I, <clears throat> having learned from the, you know, the first ordeal, I thought, let's just start from the, from right away trying to buy an easement. But if somebody doesn't want to sell an easement, what's, what's the next step in that scenario? Well, it really depends upon the facts of the situation. In the situation that you described, if you've got that uh, west 100 acres and the northern portion has access to a road, but the southern portion has difficulty because of the, the stream or the, the river that goes through it, that southern portion would still have legal access because it's all one piece of property. You've got legal access to that road, but you don't have the physical access or it's expensive to make physical access. So if that landowner, that, that owner of that 100-acre parcel, if they could establish that they had, and a neighbor doesn't want to sell or doesn't want to give up an easement, if that neighbor, if you've, if you've used their property and you've used it long enough that you can get a prescriptive easement, and that's generally going to be 20 years, okay. there's the possibility where you could bring an action against that neighboring property owner for a prescriptive easement. But if you... If there's not been the, the use or the use hasn't been long enough to make the prescriptive easement, you probably wouldn't be able to force that neighboring property owner to sell you an easement. That type of easement would be uh, possible if that piece of property had no legal access at all, but it does. It's hard physically. Yeah but it is possible because you can go across that river. You can build something to get over it, yeah. but you, you, you don't get it. Sometimes they call that easement by necessity. If I've got no legal way to get to a right of way, 
then I might be able to force one of my surrounding neighbors to give me access across their property. Of course, I'd have to pay for it and probably have to fight about it, but I might be able to force them to do it. But in your situation, assuming you don't have the time for the prescriptive easement term, it's not been long enough for that, or maybe there isn't any previous use at all, you probably wouldn't be able to force that neighbor into giving you access or selling you access or having the court do that for you because you do legally have the right to cross that stream that's on your property and go onto your other piece of property and get to the road. So it's, it's difficult if you've got the legal access but not the physical access. That's where you might find yourself in the situation where you've got to deal with what you have and deal with crossing that river or crossing that obstruction that exists on your land. And that, that's very helpful and kind of, in, or it is insightful because you know, just uh, without having your legal expertise, my thought was, well, you could probably force one of these people, like take them to court to, to get access, but that's not the case. And, you know, Randy, you grew up in farm country in, in Southern <coughs> Minnesota. Um, there's a lot of these scenarios oh, yeah. out there. That's what I was thinking of. It's, it's drainage ditches down there yeah. uh, that we have, somebody puts a drainage ditch in, all of a sudden you don't have access to a piece of property. Uh, you know that you had before so either you got to throw a make a bridge but what happens if you get in that situation where you've got a, uh, a drainage ditch or something you have to work through DNR and, and those types of uh, EPA uh, agencies in order to make this work or what happens then in order to cross it yeah ditch? yeah can, can well, you just you just can't just go build a bridge can you no assuming that that e that ditch or the drainage is on an easement then you'd have to look to the terms of that document to see what you as the owner of the land still have the right to do. And you probably wouldn't be, we'd have to look at the document, but you probably wouldn't have the right to just build a bridge or cross it wherever you wanted. It might have the ability to do that upon their approval, but yes, you'd have to go to whomever is in control of that particular drainage structure in order to cross it. That's something, you know, if we turn the clock back a little bit and we're thinking of that property before that drainage ditch goes in and you've got a drain, a, a drain authority that wants to put this ditch across your property. You might not have a, an objection to, in theory to this ditch going across your property, but it's very important yeah. to look at what that, what that easement says that you'd be signing for this ditch, ditch authority because you want to make sure that you still keep the right to cross that ditch. And you don't want to put yourself in a situation of severing your southern acres from your northern acres and the road. Because that can be a very detrimental thing to happen to the southern acres if now you've made yourself into a, a non-legal access. If you don't have the right to cross that easement that you just gave away, you've landlocked your lower part. And that's really going to impact the value of that yeah. lower part of the property if you can't get there and neither can your buyer if you're going to be selling the land. So in the eminent domain context, that's called a severance damage. They're taking, cutting what was one piece of property and now into two pieces. And that other piece is now maybe not as useful or as valuable as it once was. Sure. Does, does eminent domain come into some of the play at the, on some of these cases or not? If you're talking a drainage ditch to a, a drain authority or government type things, government would have the authority in most cases to take property, an easement or even fee uh, for a drainage project. You also think of carrier 
carrier utilities, such as a, a power company. They might be putting a, a big line across or a pipeline across. Usually you still have the ability to cross those areas, but I suppose there could be a situation with a, a particular utility that they don't want you, if it's an exposed pipeline, for example, they don't want you to cross other than in certain locations. So that could be, those common carriers do have eminent right. domain authority usually as well. The other thing I, I think about in our conversation is that, you know, when some of these parcels were maybe conveyed years ago, a um, little different time and in, in, in place, right, where people weren't worried because, you know, John owned the parcel next to it, and John's a good friend of mine, so I'm never going to have, you know, worries about, about getting to my property, but I think in the, in the society that we live in now that's probably more litigious that, you know, um, having your I's dotted and T's crossed when it comes to access is, is a big deal. Yeah. We've talked just about a couple of different easements. Are there other types of easements too or not? Um, easement uses or easement uh, types, I guess. Easement types, I think. Well, there would be a written easement or an express easement. We've got the, the prescriptive easement that, at, that arises over time. There can be that easement by necessity if, I'm, if my land is entirely landlocked. So those are the, the major types, but they can be for a number of different things. We had talked about utility uses, roads. Um, there can be easements for, for light, uh, easements for wind, all of those different things, a number of easements, but they don't, easement for a light or wind isn't going to be dealing with access necessarily. Uh, but all sorts of different Easements can be for almost anything. It's just the right to use another person's property for a particular purpose. So we've talked about some of the issues of if you can't, you know, come to an agreement, you can't buy an easement. Um, and I know this is a very <laughs> wide open question, John, but I mean, any any ballpark numbers on a cost or time estimate if, if you need to actually go to court to try to get an easement, whether it's prescriptive or? Well, if you're, if you're dealing with a prescriptive easement, it, it's going to be expensive. Anytime you get into court, um, it's tens of thousands of dollars anyway, just for the, for the legal fees, and you'll, you'll need probably a surveyor, and if, if it, it might involve an appraiser as well, uh, but easily tens of thousands of dollars. The time frame to do that, if you get a court through the cases in North Dakota, a year would be a, a reasonable amount of time. It can be longer. It's usually not that much faster. It, it takes time to go through the process of, of legal, legal uh, litigation. It, it just takes a fair amount of time and, frankly, a lot of money. So it is important you know, to look at those things before you're actually committing to purchase the property or have, as a, have it as a contingency in your purchase agreement that I know that I as the buyer need access across this prop, this other property before I'm going to buy what you're selling. Right. And because it is, it is expensive. It's easily tens of thousands of dollars. And the, other, the other thing that we've looked at historically, I mean, we're, we're in such a strong, strong land market right now. Um, that in this option, you know, the example that I gave was the, the rest of the property was worth far more than this, but, but it had been a standalone property, you know, we might have looked at either trying to privately sell it to the adjacent landowner or even selling, you know, the land that had access separately, you know, so, you know, years ago, I remember, 
you know, something that was cut up like this where we just sold the part that didn't have access to the adjacent landowner and, and kind of moved on. But, you know, like I said, we're in kind of in a different world when, when land values are so strong and you kind of want to kind of want to see what, what's the best route and go from there. Yeah, especially when nobody's, somebody's not willing to carve off a, an acre along the one side to give you an access. Yeah. Kind of makes it hard to work with them and sell it to them at a discount, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we've covered a lot of ground. It's, it's been very, very useful and insightful, John. Do you have any other comments to add regarding easements or, or access issues? Well, access is one of the most important things, I think, in real estate altogether. Um, I deal with uh, residential real estate, commercial real estate, farmland, and actually access and legal access is one of the most important things. If you're getting a, a title insurance property, that's one of the most important things that the underwriter wants to make sure exists is legal access to that property because without it, you really don't have a whole lot of value and the lender's collateral really isn't worth much. So it's important to make sure when you're purchasing property that you've got the legal access. And that isn't necessarily just going to show up in the in the abstract. It, in an abstract, you might see that you have the northeast quarter, but you need to know are there other things that that get in the way of getting to a to a section line road. So you might have the legal access, but do you have the physical ability to get from your property to that road? There might also be issues uh, if you get into interstate highways, for example. They've got uh, controlled access, so you don't have the right to get onto the interstate except at certain locations. So it's important to not only look at your abstract, make sure that you've got the legal access to the property, but physically inspect the property and maybe have a, a surveyor look at it as well to make sure that physically I can get from my property to that road. Because without that access to your property, it really, really loses value in a hurry and it loses utility for everybody. John, if one of our listeners to this podcast has questions, can they contact you? Yes. My office is in Grand Forks. Uh, we're, we're on Library Circle, and our phone number is 701-772-3407. Thanks to John Workup for being part of this conversation. The Well-Grounded Podcast is a presentation of Acres and Shares and the Red River Farm Network. If you have farmland or beatstock questions, please call me at 218 779 one two nine three and you can find this podcast on itunes google play and spotify it's also available at rrfn.com and acresandshares.com until next time i'm randy conan and i'm jason minke <laughs>